Welcome to Mindset, Mood and Movement, a systemic approach to human behavior, performance and well-being. Our psychological, emotional and physical health are all connected. And my guests and I endeavor to share knowledge, strategies and tools for you to enrich your life and work. Today, I have a guest with me, Tom, and we are looking at what is self-care and why should we do it? Now, Tom is a really multiple, interesting guy. He works for Beam Development Training. He's a well-being trainer and facilitator. And Tom tells me he's a builder of things from people to well-being and to physical things like properties. He works with his wife and they have a fantastic training company all around well-being. And I'm really excited to have Tom talk with us today about self-care. Now, Self-care is something which for some of us can sound fluffy, for some of us it can sound uh, ambiguous and we're not sure. So we want to get really clear on what it is, some of the pillars around it, and why we should do it, what its value is. So there's some really good meaty stuff we're going to get into today. So without further ado, I'm welcoming Tom. Hi, Tom. Hi, Sal. Thank you for having me on today. Tom, I'm really interested to know when... When did you start paying attention to self-care? Because, of course, we're going to go into it deep from your professional and our professional perspectives. But for you personally, when, when was the time in your life that you, you thought, this is something that really matters and I want to understand more? So there's self-care. As I've always been trying to experiment and find ways that I can live in a better way. But really, when I really started paying attention was about five years ago when uh, my mum died and she died really fast from a, a brain tumour at the age of 58 and I just it was a really difficult time because she went from being healthy to gone within six months and and I found that I learned so much from it and I know that there's there's so many different factors that go in into having a uh, a serious illness like that but I wanted to do everything that I possibly could to live the healthiest, longest life that I possibly could. So then I started really paying attention and, and focusing on uh, every aspect of my life, just taking it one small step at a time to, to live in as long as I can, as healthy as I can, without uh, any sort of uh, medical intervention or... Uh, any aids so yeah that's uh that was that was like the the turning point for me was about five six years ago thank you for sharing i, I appreciate it. it's a very sensitive uh, and sad subject so i appreciate your honesty and candor and and uh, my heart goes out to you for that and isn't it interesting when something really like a boulder just hits your life and it wakes you up and you're like wow i've, I've got to do something different or i'm really going to choose to do something different and it's really interesting around what i've see ourselves care and health because we hopefully are born with reasonably good health and we we kind of go through life we don't think about it too much until it goes wrong and and it, it absolutely amazes me so if our car breaks you're like oh goodness me the car's not working off to the garage you get it fixed if the computer breaks you're like oh, call the computer guy go and fix this but when our mind so to speak or emotional space or physical space starts to, to break down for for whatever reason we can often neglect it and it's a slow burn. It's, it's interesting. I hear Gabor Mate, the Canadian uh, physician, speak about disease being on a spectrum. And, and I think that's an interesting perspective where we're not suddenly ill and well. We're not binary. It's sort of we're perhaps moving towards wellness or moving away from it and towards dis-ease. Now, I'm interested about how you've been applying this to your own life because you've been making some massive changes from, from that event when your mum passed. What's, what steps have you personally found have made the biggest difference for you? So it's really hard to focus on the really on one thing that has made the biggest difference. But I think uh, sleep for me is, is a huge part because that is the foundation to the whole day. If you start off the day after having a bad night's sleep, then, you know, that the day doesn't start right and the rest of the day can follow and be affected. And studies have shown, if you've read Matthew Walker, uh, Why We Sleep, then you'll know that just losing an hour's sleep can make a huge impact. So I started addressing everything 
that I possibly could. And I'm really lucky. I work with my wife and she's on the same mission as well to be as healthy and uh, to live as long as possible in the best way. So we started looking at, okay, well, what's the first thing we do? Like start off with the small things. Okay, well, we're affected by the light. So we changed the curtains Uh, and then we decluttered the room. So really looking at uh, an energy flow, it was... It was a, a nice, tranquil place to be. There was no stress of looking around. And then we added stuff like when we were able to, we looked at really good mattresses. And we actually went through a couple of different mattresses until we found one that was right for both of us. Uh, changed the bed. Uh, the dogs no longer slept in the room. Uh, the phones went away. So all those things, it wasn't just like we did it all at the same time we started adding elements and we were just taking it small steps until we got to a place where it's like ours. Yeah. Our sleep is, is really good. And that, and that only really just explains the setting because, uh, you have to, everything else is connected, whether that's food or breathing, it's all connected to sleep as well. So all those other things, they start to come in and it starts to form like quite a a wider web of everything that you have to do around sleep to us before you go to bed and then what you do when you wake up it's not just what happens whilst you're asleep and uh, yeah it's it's such a I think if you get a good night's sleep then you can tackle whatever's going to happen in the day lovely that's so interesting uh, and of course we you've you've already suggested to me you've kind of got eight pillars and we're going to cover those eight pillars of self-care uh, and wellness right now and sleep being the number one I'm really intrigued, uh, for me it resonates, about this kind of web of change. So rather than sort of different pieces that we do a bit of nutrition, do a bit of sleep, it's understanding how the interrelationship works between, say, sleep and breathing or sleep and stress. But I'm with you on this. If if sleep is compromised, then, oh my goodness, it's it's not good for me. Uh, And obviously I'm no spring chicken anymore, so I definitely need my sleep. But it's so interesting about the ideology, I think, that's kind of culturally pervasive. I grew up around the sort of Thatcher era and the sort of, uh, I got into work in the 80s and 90s and all that. And I remember the whole premise was, you don't need sleep, work hard, sleep's for, we- for weaklings. And it's just like, where did we get this silly notion from? And it's literally, it's an idea and it's, it's, an, it's highly inaccurate, as, as the Matthew Walker research plus other research has shown. Sleep is fundamental. There is a reason why us human beings and all animals sleep for a large percentage of our living life because it is fundamental. Uh, Peter Atiyah, the Dr. Peter Atiyah, talks about this as well, about how when we're sleeping, we actually uh, wash some of the chemistry in the brain that's, that can kind of build up and in over long term can move towards things like dementia uh, and cognitive decline. So it's absolutely fundamental. So lovely to hear. I echo that. My experience of sleep is blackout lines. Yeah. Uh, I wear, as a little tip for the listeners, I wear these uh, earbuds and they're wax earbuds because I am so, my, my nervous system is hypersensitive. <laughs> like I can, in some ways that's good. <laughs> in other ways, that's an absolute nightmare because I'm I'm super alert. But I plug in because if my dogs move in the night or someone walks past, I, I can easily wake. And I found that like you, these uh, methods, these understand what do you need to sleep well? whether it's blackout or quiet or no TVs, it's really important to layer it. So that's a lovely that's a lovely way you've described sleep and how you found that. So well, let's perhaps tap into uh, a second pillar you were really excited to share, and obviously it's one that I'm interested in, and that's movement. So tell me a little more about how you've brought movement into your life and how it's working for you. So I've always been quite active uh, uh, as, as I started off my career in construction before I moved uh, into what I'm doing now. So I was always active and when you have a, a manual physical job, it's easy to then spend the the eight, however many hours it is a day, physically moving around. And it's not just use one type of movement. You could be sawing, hammering, you know, just carrying stuff around. And so it was never something that I really paid much attention to. I could eat as much as I like. Uh, because I was just, I was, I was working hard every day, but it really started to uh, affect me on how sort of sedentary I'd become uh, when I 
when I moved behind a computer a bit more. Uh, I was traveling uh, in the car a lot more. So then, so then movement actually then became a sort of a, a fundamental sort of aspect in overall health. And I found that because I'm quite an active person, I, I like to get outside. I'm, uh, my wife calls me an outdoor cat. And uh, I, it's something that get, sort of builds up that sort of zest in my life. You know, being outside, fresh air, whether it's the sunshine or, or pouring rain, I like being outside. So not only was it a, a, a good sort of aspect to focus on for me mentally, but I knew that my body needed it physically as well. And I felt good after I moved. So uh, I, I read a, a really great book uh, by uh, Kelly McGonagall on, uh, it's called The Joy of Movement. And she uh, says in there that there was a study done that they found the, the perfect amount of steps, well, not the perfect, it was like the threshold uh, of steps that was the difference between feeling sort of depressed, anxious, and all the negative emotions to feeling more positive and happy. And they found that that number of steps in this study was 5,649, which I thought, oh, okay. So I, I, uh, I did a quick calculation on the internet and found out that's 2.4 miles a day. So uh, I, I, I wanted to focus on whatever I was doing in the day, I wanted to at least do that amount of steps. And so it started off but okay, well, we were all in lockdown a few years ago, so it was it was it was quite nice to be able to get out of the house and just go for a walk. So we made sure that we were doing at least that amount of steps. But then we realised that okay, well, it's not just good enough to do that amount of steps. That is the the minimum threshold, really. And if you do that all at once, but then spend the rest of the day being sedentary or sat at the desk which a lot of us do, then it's still, you're still mostly sedentary. So I wanted to uh, make sure that I was moving frequently. So, and I started by making things a bit difficult. So I wouldn't keep loads of drinks at my desk, a cup of tea, then a water. It was like, I, I would do things on purpose that would mean that I'd have to get up. I finished my cup of tea, like, oh, I could do with a glass of water. Yeah, so then I'll go get a glass of water. But I was, it was just little simple ways that I'd start to uh, force myself to, <laughs> to, to get up from the desk. And it even got to a point where I had a timer uh, and it was it just remind me because you can be in a, like a flow state and you really head into it and you just, you lose track of time. I wanted to make sure that I was getting up and that might be, uh, I did a, a challenge where I I just did uh, 10 press-ups every time my uh, buzzer went off. Uh, but it was just me getting up and moving my body in a different way. Uh, and I felt so much better for it. It wasn't, I wasn't doing marathons or 10Ks or anything like that. I was taking it relatively easy, but I was moving my body frequently throughout the day. And that has been something that, is is a go-to especially when the weather changes and gets a lot nicer as well it's so much easier just to walk around your local park and and when you pay attention to how you feel about making a change or doing a little experiment within your life then if you notice that that has a positive impact then that can only really be good absolutely when we think about self-care and why these are the pillars of self-care that we're covering and why should we do it well a lot of people are uh, one. A lot of people can be thinking about health as a weight gain. It could be as you, you've experienced the loss of a loved one, and these sorts of factors. There are a lot of reasons why we we might choose to move more or less. One thing I think really is interesting in your experience there is is this frequency of movement. Now, as you probably know me, as we've we've spoken before. I move a lot. I I I train almost every day of the week, and that's that's because. Um, I, I, I believe I'm an athlete. I, I train like an athlete. And uh, my midlife athlete mindset is like, let's train. And I love it. Now, I wasn't always like this. And it can be, I know it can be quite intimidating if you're quite new into the self-care journey. And let's say you've got a desk job and you're sedentary. Uh, and you're like, how do I sort this out? Perhaps if you're carrying a little too much weight, perhaps if you're feeling out of shape. It's, 
it all starts with small steps, small incremental steps, and it's a long journey. I started this journey uh, of really working, as in like a lot of movement, uh, seven years ago now, I think it was. Uh, now, I've, I've been active for quite a long time, but I'm really active, as in doing weight training, running, high-intensity, various different things. And what I found is, as one matures, as I'm midlife now, this movement has become play to me. Because as an adult, we often play for an adult, might be going to the pub <laughs> or watching TV. Our culture is kind of built on that kind of premise that, oh, that's play. And, and I've found that actually when you start to find joy, like the Kelly uh, McGonagall uh, book and her hard work around finding joy in movement, then suddenly it goes from this dirty word of I've got to do exercise yeah. or I need to lose weight to like, I love moving. I feel good. As you're already alluding to that lovely experience of this is why I do it. I would like to add that most people have a short-term mindset on this because we're all told it's a 12 weeks to boot camp, six weeks to the beach body, which is absolute rubbish. Just don't buy it. I have a four-year training cycle. I train like an, like an Olympian. I have four-year blocks. And people look at me like, four years? It's like, well, I'm, I do plan to be here in four years' time. Do you? Now, of course, if we think four years, you've got a lot of time there to implement small changes in your sedentary nature to movement nature. You got chines to perhaps take up walking, maybe gentle running. Perhaps you get into badminton or swimming. But you've got the timeline to do it without this fear of like, I've got to do five sessions a week, bearing in mind you've never done any. So that would be my experience. And I love to hear in that, that gradual uh, Kaizen, the Japanese principle of small steps every day. That's lovely. Yeah, I really like that. I th it's really important to focus on uh, what brings you that joy in that moment. Because uh, I, I, used to, I used to go out and uh, it was actually the start of this year. I wanted to challenge myself uh, to uh, run. It was 5K every day. And the body did not like that. Uh, and then my mind didn't like it as well. I was, the, the first week was a bit of a challenge. And then I got into the second week. And uh, I'd listened to all the audio books that I wanted to listen to. And I just I didn't find that I wanted to persevere with the challenge. But... I, I actually just found that I didn't like it. It wasn't something, it wasn't a way that I wanted to continue to move my body. And so I, I think there's huge uh, power in not doing something that doesn't bring you joy because you've got to want to do it. And I think it was one of the reasons why I stopped going to the gym because I didn't enjoy going to that gym environment. I found other ways to move my body that I really enjoy. But for some people, going to the gym might be a really great place and they might really love doing that. Yeah. So you've got to do what it is that's that bring that lights you up. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And there are many forms of movement from cardiovascular movement. Could be running, could be swimming, could be rowing, could be dancing, could be Zumba. Yeah. There's lots of versions. And just because one person likes their tank, I, I'm not a distance runner. I'm a sprinter. I love sprinting, but I will do some distance just because it's 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 good. And the fact that I have the freedom to run is, for me, is the absolute privilege of life. I, I can do it. Some people don't have that freedom. So that's my personal experience of it. But there's many ways of doing it. That's why there's many classes. Yeah. So if you're new to self-care, the recommendation is try many things. Absolutely. Some things, will, some things will vibe with you. Some things won't. But stay with the, with the decision to be more, have movement more in your life, from moving from the desk and the office to taking the stairs to considering a class, considering a PT and a program and long scale. That's what I find long, long scale. Like think, like, So if I train for the next 30 years, what am I going to be like when I'm 70 and 80? Because I, I, there's health span and lifespan, and you've already alluded to that. Lifespan might be that we all live to 100 because it seems to be people live a long time now. But health span is a curve that doesn't always follow that. Health span can go down 60, 70, 80. And and the best way around uh, balancing, so when we're older, the, our pension, our health pension is really top down, is good movement over long time. So this is, this is a lovely way of hopefully realizing that self-care with, with a movement pillar is it's a long-term investment, find the joy, but stay with it. So that's, that's wonderful. Tom, I'd love to, uh, you, your third pillar that you suggested to me is nutrition. Now, it's a big, it's a huge topic, <laughs> nutrition, sometimes controversial yeah. as well. I'm not a specialist. I have my own choices that I do. In it. But what's as a pillar for self-care and, and why we should treat pay attention to nutrition? What have you found? 
Okay, so there's so much. We, we could have uh, days of podcasts just on nutrition. But what I found in all the different experiments that I've done with food is paying attention to what my body actually likes. When we have something and you're like, oh, I feel bloated after that. Okay, well, your body is reacting in a way that it doesn't normally react. That could be an indication that your body doesn't particularly like that food, whether that, and most of the time that might be to something that is processed. So my my number one rule really for eat it, well, there's so many. Uh, one of them would be to keep it simple, uh, to eat ingredients. So what I mean by that is something that your grandparents or great-grandparents would have eaten. It's something uh, that has a single ingredient. So it hasn't got a long list of uh, chemicals, uh, process things that you don't, you can't pronounce, spell, or even have any idea what they do. So I try and avoid anything like, you know, if, if we're having a meal, we might have like a chicken breast with asparagus and maybe another veg as an example. And these are all, these are all things that are just simple foods. It, I know that you can cook it in any way uh, that that you like, but you know these are when it comes down to it, they're simple foods, and it it comes down to that, like not putting uh, anything in your body that your body doesn't like. Like get used to, you can take it right back down to basics and just eat something slowly. And actually, your tongue is a liar; it, it will tell you that you like something even when your body doesn't. So you've got to you've got to push aside that feeling of, of sort of listening to the tongue, whether that's like a nice juicy burger or uh, which, which is great sometimes and or if it's like a, a bag of sweets. Actually, your body doesn't like that. Whether that's uh, your mood changes afterwards or you just don't feel great or your mood elevates too much, it Whatever it is, start paying attention to what happens to you when you eat something. And that that's one of the first things that I would look at is not so much mindful eating, but just paying attention and taking a bit more care because it's it's the fuel. It's uh it's so important. If you if you have a a poor diet, then so many other things are affected. Yeah. What what have you noticed as uh, from from changing being uh, more? I would call it an intuitive eater. Yeah. So in, you know, intuitive, so like oh god, that's kind of that, that. I feel really nourished or I feel really bloated. Whatever those feedback signals, and you've been intuitive to to that information. What have you noticed has happened for you by being more of an intuitive eater and and avoiding the process, having more what you call pure ingredients? What have you noticed the actual effects have been for you? Well, it's uh, it's really noticeable. Uh, I used to overeat and I would eat everything. I would eat the wrong foods. And after you've had a meal and you feel bloated and you uh, and you think, oh, I've got to have a lie down or oh, I fancy a nap and you feel really lethargic and slut and everything is just like you can't, can't do anything else. You've just eaten and now you, you've sort of almost got to lie down and digest. And when I started changing how I ate, uh, I could have a meal that was portioned uh, sort of to, to what my body needed. And then after I'd, I ate, I, I didn't feel full. I knew and I changed my mindset that my body has had the nourishment that it needs. But I didn't feel like I was, <laughs> I was eating the wrong thing. I didn't feel bloated. I didn't feel like, oh, yeah, I just want to lie down and, and, just, uh, and just rest for a bit. After I ate, I could get up and dance. Or not that I would always get up and dance, but I could uh, go for a walk or I could eat my food and not feel like there was a uh, a time where I needed to hold off before I did anything else. I felt better after I had the food compared to if I just had a lot of food that wasn't good for my body. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? I really like what you're saying about the non-processed food, avoiding the chemicals. It's interesting because a lot of food is made in a in a lab, not in a farm. Today's world, a lot of the, the kind of the ready meals and the processed stuff, and 
I think it's Dr. Van Tulin, the doctor on BBC, he was looking at this from zero to five or one to five, where one is, say, zero is nothing. So if you've got an apple off your tree in the back garden, if you're lucky enough to have an apple tree, you give it a bit of a wash and you eat it, that's a zero. It's pure, pure food, pure as it gets. Uh, one might be that it had to go through some kind of washing process. Could be that it's been pulled out of the ground by a mechanical digger and then gone into a factory, say, like regular vegetables. And then it goes up the scale. Two could be uh, milk, which has obviously been drawn from a cow if you if you choose to drink dairy milk. Three could be cheese, because it's got through, and it goes up and up and up the scale. So you get to, I don't know, uh, fast food stuff. And and really, as you say, when you look at the list, it's like that that isn't quote unquote just chicken or meat or vegetables. It's a whole host of chemistry. And I find it fascinating. So our taste buds are a little excited. Our taste buds change roughly every two weeks. So we literally regenerate taste buds. And I've noticed that if you cut something up for two weeks and eat it off two, it tastes really different. So there's one thing about association with taste and, and the, the way the mind works. But also our microbiota, all the little uh, billions of bacteria in the gut, the wonderful ones that symbion or symbiosis in our in our system, they actually start to crave certain foods. So if you cane the burgers, you start to crave them. If you have a lot of, say, highly nutritious plant-based food, you start to crave it. And I find that fascinating. And when we know that, there's, I think there's something to be said here about giving something due time, whether it's two weeks, one month of, let's say you, you went from burger-style ready for meals to more of a plant-based nutritious diet. It's going to take a couple of weeks for it to kind of settle. But after that, you'll start to actually really not only taste different, but you'll start to crave different. But you're you're spot on. And of course, if we don't sleep well, we don't have the the right hormone balance in which can make us overeat. So we can see how this weave of self-care is is coming together. And we can see how actually the payoffs are coming together as well when we we hook it all. Now, we've we've covered quite a few already. Your next pillar is hydration. Now, What's what have you been doing about hydration? Because you said you did some clever stuff at your place. <laughs> <laughs> well, my number one, where I started with hydration was okay. So I was looking at the the amount of sugar that I was consuming, and so I first of all, uh, and I'd done this uh, a long, long time ago. I stopped having fizzy drinks. I just cut them out, and so you know, because if you try and do everything at once. It's, you know, what, what you change in your diet is not going to work. So you've got to just do things gradually. Yeah, so I cut out the fizzy drinks and then actually, because I was still drinking fruit juices and stuff like that, which is perceived as a healthy option, I cut that out too. And and actually, no, it's on a very rare occasion, I might have a ginger beer. But that is for nearly every drink that I have is water. and uh, And then... Because you go down a bit of a chain and you start to realize, actually, okay, so I'm focusing on not drinking sugar. Okay, so okay, what you drink is extremely important. It is, it's vital to our existence. And staying hydrated, if we're not hydrated, then the brain starts to suffer very quickly. Uh, if we're dehydrated, along with all the other functions in the body, it, it it's an essential part. So this actually came from, we were listening to an American gastroenterologist because Leanne was having uh, some digestive issues and we were looking at all the stuff that the the water quality that we're drinking just from our normal tap is is not the same that it used to be and the the quality it is filtered but there are so many other hormones and chemicals that slip through so we are we're, we're essentially drinking contaminated water or on on some degree so we started looking at filtration systems and we, we tried with the the Brita filter but then learned that actually that's probably not the best way to filter our water so after listening to this American gastroenterologist a few years ago we we learned that actually the the change in the because the, the pH in the water, the tap water has gone up and actually what it needs to be was quite a bit lower. So we found an alkalizing filtration system and it ionizes the water, which what happens down further into the gut, it produces like a, a hydrogen gas, which to my wife's amazement, she had ne- she won't mind me saying this, but she, uh, <laughs> up until the age of about 44, she, she never really farted. And after changing this, we were 
she changed the the way that we were drinking and we were now having this ionized water alkaline water rather and the what had happened to her digestive system was it was operating in a healthier way and she noticed that actually now uh on occasion she she will uh pass wind and and it was a sign to her that actually what we were doing was right and it, it's a it's a hard discussion to have because it's uh we don't drink alcohol uh and so then if you're out with friends and it's, it's sort of social to have a, a a drink or even like a glass of coke or something and it, and it just you know we, we go out and to now to even have tap water is something that we try and make a conscious effort to not drink so we're only really drinking the water that we're filtering is uh it can seem quite strange to to other people but when you start going down that trying to improve every aspect of your life then it's hard to go back and there's there's nothing there's nothing that would make me uh, choose to have a glass of coke now or yeah, or change yeah. what i'm doing it, it, i've seen the yes. improvements that it makes yeah, that's so interesting because what I heard there is not just about hydration and what you've eloquently explained about what you've learned and how you've applied by using this sort of alkalizing filtering process, but also about the the change because yes, we I, I drink a lot. I'm drinking as we as we speak. I've got a, a bottle of uh, filtered water. My, I, I I'm not quite as high tech as you. Mine's my, my one of those kind of uh, Brita style filtered things, but it still tastes better. Yeah. But I drink a lot of water. But you're right. It's very easy to sip on a can of Coke or a can of drink. I personally, I hate that kind of stuff. It, it just doesn't work for me. I, I, I've never liked fizzy drinks at all. And I, But I know some people do. And then, of course, the fruit juice is bang full of fructose, yeah. which absolutely spikes your metabolic changes and stuff. So by the you've got a several benefits here, haven't you? You've got a changing of rather than consuming perhaps high fructose type drinks, you've changed it to water. And then, of course, you've got another level of quality water. So absolutely wonderful. And it's it's fascinating, isn't it? These are the fundamental pillars and principles of what makes a high-functioning human life. Now, they're not overly difficult, but they do take time to pay attention to, to do your own research or hear the right right kind of guidance and then start to apply that over time. But what a difference it makes, and it's, it's so lovely to hear. Now, of course, for, for our next pillar that you've hit is one that I share with you, which is breath and breathing. Now, if you're if you're listening, thinking, oh, yeah, okay, so we breathe all day. What's the biggie? <laughs> uh, well, we do. We breathe around twenty thousand breaths a day. But breath has been well studied uh, for a long time in the yoga tradition. It's been studied and now in science tradition. Tom and I both share. Uh, we both train with uh, Patrick McEwen at Oxygen Advantage, so we're both breathwork trainers, if you will. And I use it in my work for mindset coaching, high performance. Because if you are breathing well, it's the intersect where we can affect the autonomic nervous system, whether we're upregulated in stress, whether we're downregulated in relaxation, or whether we need to move out of a frozen state, like because you, you stop breathing and stop moving. So breath is fundamental. Now, Tom, I'd love to get your, your experience on how working on the breath piece has now been another fundamental shift in self-care and how it's, how it's affected you. So I love, I love breath. And if... Uh... I, th I think some friends and family have stopped talking to me about breath because I get so excited and I just keep going on and on and on. But breath is connected to everything. Sleep, movement, nutrition, like like everything that is important to us is connected to breath. We can change how we process our food uh, by regulating the autonomic nervous system uh, but we can get a great night's sleep. And I think that there's uh, lots of studies that say that the food that we've eaten has changed our jaw position. So we're able to, so we're breathing differently. Uh, so it's, uh, it's now becoming a conscious effort to create better breathing habits. And yeah, I, like it's, it's something that is fundamental in my daily practice. It is probably the thing that I spend well we all spend a lot of time doing it and I think that's something that comes up quite a lot whether I'm doing a workshop or class say so what I'm here I'm breathing you know okay 
that, that's right. You are breathing. That's fine. You, it's, uh, but you can do it better. You can, imp- you can look at how you are doing it, seeing uh, where there are sort of margins to improve, and then you can focus on that. It's, uh, it, it really does change lives. There's so many people that spend most of their day breathing through their mouths. And when we do that, we are, uh, we're alerting the stress response, you know, the sort of fight or flight response in our body because it's an emergency type breathing. It's a shallow breath. We're only really utilizing the top parts of our lungs. But when we change to breathing through our nose, which is how we are designed to breathe, we filter uh, the air coming in. We produce other gases. But we're also taking in the right amount of air that our lungs need. And because we're taking it in slower, and we're taking in another gas called nitric oxide that's produced in the nasal uh, cavities, then we're uh, sending that air down into the lower lobes of the lungs where a greater gas exchange can happen. And when this happens, we actually uh, are breathing less, but we get more oxygen into the blood. So then the organs, uh, the tissues all the vital parts of our body are getting more oxygen and we're breathing less. So when you start to understand a little bit about how the breath works, it's uh, it's hard to go back. <laughs> if you follow anyone that does uh, a lot of breathing, at some point they might have suggested that you tape your mouth at night so you only breathe through your mouth. This stops snoring. And this, like, this is a really interesting experiment. So I used to track... I don't anymore, but I used to wear an Apple Watch and it would sort of track your sleep. And I found when I taped my mouth, I did this for a couple of months. I taped my mouth every night, breathe through my nose. I was getting about, it was about 30% deeper sleep. So my breath is connected to my sleep, which is so important to me. If I can improve my sleep, then I'm going to want to see how that works. And that, it just, it, it just, and that's just one aspect of breath. So it's, it's so important to pay attention to see how you're breathing, uh, how it's connected to, to food as well. If you eat in a stressed state, your body isn't in its fully functioning mode. If your body's stressed, if you've been mouth breathing for hours up until you eat, and then you're still in that state of stress whilst you're eating, your body isn't digesting everything to its best capacity. But if you breathe through your nose you're in the parasympathetic your body is in what is called the rest and digest every function of your your body's processes is working as it should be your body knows that you're safe so it can it can spend time on the parts that are not considered the vital or the emergency organs so then we're able to digest our food better and that's our breath so yeah i mean it's i i it's a, it's a topic that I'm extremely passionate about. It's one that I'm continuing to experiment with all the time. For for people that know me quite well, then I will I will hum around, and I'll be spending a lot of the day humming. And uh, yeah, it, it it's something that I think that should be, uh, and I think it is. It's it's a a change in perception as well. Like uh, yoga's been practiced and Pilates been practiced for a long long time. And I think breath work uh, in particular, thanks to quite a lot of popular figures like Wim Hof, is, is making breath something a bit more accessible. It's, it's bringing it to attention of the masses. And I think that's a really important aspect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, some really good proponents in breath. Brian McKenzie in America is, uh, is one that we should research. Brian's got a really interesting take on it. I too, as breathwork yeah. trainer, uh, yoga teacher, amongst other things, and it is the pillar. So when people come to me and they are working through challenges, stresses, problems, and want to change, want to want to evolve and grow, one of the first things I'm interested in, like, how are you breathing? Because as you've alluded to beautifully, how we're breathing, breathwork is such a fantastic area to, to look at, as you've already alluded to. Brian McKenzie is someone I would uh, recommend people look into as well. He's an American guy, really technical, does some amazing stuff. There's a lot of figures. But to simplify breathwork, if someone comes to me and there's stress, there's a problem, something isn't working, yes, there's a psychological piece to it. There's a belief or a problem around the thinking part we want to work through. But if someone isn't breathing right, 
then I know that their nervous system, their physical body and their nervous system, which is all part of the mind, needs to be regulated or balanced or brought into touch. Now, it's not that well known, but CO2, often we think of carbon dioxide as a, as a, as a waste gas, which is inaccurate and, and it's, quote, bad. There's no such thing. So we have a chemistry mix of O2, oxygen, CO2, carbon dioxide. Now, we breathe in, hopefully, oxygen, and, when this, and the cells take that in, and we will breathe out carbon dioxide. What's interesting is when the CO2 goes up in the bloodstream, so the, the CO2 levels rise, that's actually a mediator of stress. So if we're thinking, oh, breath in, whatever, then if you are feeling stress, it's exactly the, one of the first things you need to look at. Because how you're breathing, if you're mouth breathing and you're, you've got too much CO2 going on because you're hyperventilating, then there's a lift in CO2 in the bloodstream, which is already spiking parts of the brain, the amygdala and so forth, that say, not safe, red alert, stress response. So this is a fundamental piece. And uh, those of us who've, who've done the breath training and experienced it, we cannot stress enough. Do it, learn it. Now, I, I, I teach the basics to everyone. I'm going to say it now. If there are several things you can do immediately, start by breathing yes. through your nose. It's the yep. first step. The second one is to breathe through your diaphragm. So your upper chest is less movement. It's all in the lower belly. So you breathe from the bottom up. And if you breathe out slower than you breathe in, if you're feeling stressed or if you want to get ready to eat, eat uh, food and nutrition, Get that parasympathetic online. Nasal breath, diaphragm breath, and the rate of breath. Those simple components are the first step on how this can make an effect. And, and i got to say, it changed my life. Yeah. I, I was lucky to get pulled into yoga many years ago. Couldn't stand it when I started. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, I hate this. It's awful. But I had a back problem, and people told me it was really good for back problems. And it showed me that you should never just take the first experience as, as like, do I like or not like something? So I gave it about six weeks of doing a yoga class. And after a few weeks, I started to get it because I was horribly stiff and achy in time. And then I started to enjoy it. The big thing I found is I felt so different afterwards. Now, with uh, years moving on, then I got into it a lot. Then I became a yoga teacher and taught a lot of yoga for years. What I noticed, of course, over the years, it was the breath mediation, the breath control, which was subtly being guided by the yoga teacher all the time, manage the breath, breathing in, breathing out which is part of it. And I remember walking one day with my dog, just breathing consciously, thinking, oh, I can literally change how I feel. This is amazing. And of course, in the years gone, I've gone more technical. But so breath as a pillar, we both Tom and I are going to bang everyone's heads <laughs> on this one. Make sure it's in. Definitely. Wonderful. Yeah. Tom, we've got, a, we've got three okay. more pillars to, to, to <laughs> tackle. Stillness. Tell me. So stillness is an interesting term. Uh, what what do you mean by stillness and how's that how's that a self-care thing that's affected you? I think everyone needs to well, that's quite a, a generalized statement. I think that there's such power in letting yourself just not think about anything for a moment. Whether that it that I'm not talking about being in a meditation pose, sat with incense going, with mudras, like I'm, I, that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that there's so much that we uh, occupy ourselves with throughout the day every day whether that's work home life other things that are going on and there is just so there's it's so good for the soul to not just as a reset but just to have a moment whether that is just sit with a cup of tea and silent and just be present in the moment I, it's uh we think of so many things and it's just it's really important for overall health to to focus on just being here right now I've, i used to find it really quite difficult uh just being still uh, my wife uh she'd always say that i got ants in my pants and i'd uh if there was a silent moment or anything i'd get up and just have to start doing something uh and over the years i've learned to just start to slow it down a bit and and that could be I used to like doing a uh, fire writing on wood uh, as a hobby. It was one of the things I used to do, and it was uh, just I was just in the moment of doing it, or whether I was wood turning. It's not a it's not a still thing to do uh, in the way of sort of like trying to present it as stillness. But I was I was focused on just one thing because when you're doing something like wood turning, you can't think about anything else. It's uh, it's another reason why I like 
uh, to have cold showers because you can't think of anything else. It's like, okay, I'm here right now and it's very cold. I can't think of what else is going on in the day. I can't think of the, the hundreds of tasks that I've got to do for work. I'm here right now in the moment. And I think it's uh, we, we spend so much time in the future or in the past, but what's happening to us is happening right now. So I, I think it's uh, like, it's probably not one of the most important parts of the self-care compared to some of the other pillars that we've been talking about. But it, it's really important to have that moment to yourself. I completely agree. It's in a, we live in a noisy world of stimulus and dopamine spiking. Uh, for those who don't know, dopamine is that kind of the reward neurochemical that we, we get when we do something that makes us feel good. But we get that when we glance at social media, when we answer an email, all these sorts of things that gives a little trick. And actually, we can become addicted to dopamine. We can start to, if you get up in the morning straight on your phone, you probably got a dopamine connection there because it's a feel good. That's, by the way, very unhealthy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Try to avoid that. that. But yeah, interesting. So I was indoctrined into a uh, certain meditation style, uh, the Maharishi uh, Yoga one. Uh, I did other meditation styles over the years. I was involved in Indian philosophy for many years. And, and I really struggled for meditation. I, I, was, I read everything, which was, you've got to do meditation. It's good for you. I hated <laughs> it because I could sit with myself. So here's a big one. It's just a little caveat that for some of us, sitting in stillness is painful. It's not easy. So it was a caveat that might be an uncomfortable place for you. So, so go gently. One of the things I found was a very nice way into this was the mindfulness approach, which, of course, is from the Buddhist tradition. Thich Tan was all about this, but paying attention to thoughts without trying to stop them. So if you're simply sitting uh, or you're looking at a piece of wood or looking at a flower, whatever it is you do, and you have a thought about, oh, I must do the dishes, or I must email so-and-so, you don't try and stop the thought, but it's almost like you step back. Uh, and a nice analogy is a little like if you're standing in the middle of a river and, of course, you're getting wet and the water's flowing, you feel everything, you step out of the river. The river will continue to flow. Don't try and stop the river. That's impossible. But when you step out of the river, say, sat on our metaphorical bank, you can be still there, but the river will go. And I think that's a nice way to approach stillness. The other thing I'd say about this, uh, my old yoga master talked about ekagrata, which is uh, single-pointed awareness, which I think is what meditation is, certainly for me. Can I be single-focused, whether that is I'm playing a sport, I'm running, I'm uh, I tell you what, heavy weightlifting will get your attention because <laughs> when it's legitimately scary, yeah. you can't be thinking, oh, what have I got to do later? And do my trainers look good? You have got the cold steel in your hands and you've got to pay attention. And uh, anything that gives single-pointed awareness is a wonderful thing. Just a short note, uh, one thing I wanted to add, cognitive load is something I see a lot of people struggle with. And basically that means a full brain. There's too much going on. And then there's stress, then there's sleep problems, and, and then we got, we're down in that spiral of doom. So slowing stuff down, as you've alluded to, whether that's single-pointed awareness through a task, whether it is a meditation form, and there are many, one of the ones that work for me is pay attention to five breaths, right? That's, that's a minute of your life yeah. if you breathe in for four and out for six. It's, ten, it's under a minute. You've got a minute because you can use hours on social media. There's no excuses. <laughs> You have a minute. So if you took five breaths and you really felt the breath and notice it, that is the simplest way to do it. If you do that once an hour, what a remedy. So uh, stillness is a, is a big topic, but wonderful. Yeah, I I would definitely, uh, breath is a, a huge component to me being like right now. Um, and yeah, if uh, there's, there's lots of ways out there, uh, there's lots of apps that you can download just to help you off to start with. But yeah, that is a way that you'll gain. Absolutely. So our last couple of uh, self-care pillars and, and really some of the good stuff, right? Purpose is our penultimate one. Perhaps you could say a little more about purpose. So again, it's, it's different for everyone. It's, there's so many, uh, you know, you're told when you grow up, if, uh, if you do what you love, then you don't have to work a day in your life or find what you're passionate about. And, and I think that to some degree, that's right. But finding something that has a meaningful purpose in what you do is is really important 
like I, I said before, I started off my career in construction and I, I really enjoyed that for a long time. I, I felt like my purpose was to build, to help people have homes. And, and I, I loved that. It, it brought me so much joy and there was so much satisfaction at the end. But after, after a while, uh, that sort of passion uh, left and, uh, I was curious to know where, where my purpose really was. And I think deep down, it came down to, I, I really liked helping people. And when we help someone, it's, it's the, it's the best type of, uh, self-care that you can possibly do. So when, uh, the opportunity came to, to join, uh, my wife's business, then I jumped at it because I thought, oh, this is an opportunity to do something that is really good. And, and it wasn't, uh, sort of from a, an ego point of view of like, oh, I'm helping people now. It was, no, this, this makes me feel good. I feel like this is when you, you do something, you're like, this is what I'm here for. I'm here to help others. And of all the experiments, whether they're successful ones or failed ones that I've done, I like to be able to sort of spread that message and, and help other people that are struggling. And, and then I found my purpose with breath and it just, everything sort of fits together. And it, when you have a sense of purpose, there's meaning. It's, it's not just, I've got a job I enjoy. There's a, there's a deeper level of satisfaction. And when you can, when you can sort of go home at the end of the day or turn off your computer, whatever it is you're doing, there's no, there's no sort of disappointment in what it is that you, you're choosing to do. And I'm not just talking about work. You could volunteer or do anything outside. Your purpose could be you're, you're really into gardening. Uh, and that's wonderful. But you've got to explore, experiment and find what your purpose is because it just, it, it gives you a level of happiness that it's just really hard to find anywhere else. Yeah, that's lovely. And it's interesting, isn't it? We, we, we're, our whole system's kind of built on chasing happiness. That's, that's the kind of the marketing model and we're all indoctrined into it. And yet happiness is a fleeting experience. It's like perhaps having a, a sweet drink. It tastes sweet, but once it's gone down the palate, then you can't taste the sweetness anymore. Whereas I think that deeper joy and satisfaction that I've done a good day's work, it's, it's sometimes missing. I know it's worse than some of the people I've worked with. There's, there's a sense of chasing. Yeah, it's called the hedonic treadmill in psychology. Well, we're always chasing the next thing, like, oh, when my business is bigger, when my, I don't know, my job's better, when I get a different relationship, then, then I'll be happy. And it's a ruse. It's a deep ruse because being true self-care, as you alluded to, is, is actually understanding yourself within the system. And that's what you do affects something else, whether it's nature, other people, animals, whatever it is, the future of children, if there's something which is deeply purposeful, you will know it's a bit like having a nutritious meal, isn't it? Where you feel like, ah, oh, I've really, that feels really good versus a sugar drink, which is a bit like, oh, that's nice. Oh, yeah. gone now. So yeah, I love that about purpose. And I think that segues beautifully into our last pillar that you suggested is absolutely fundamental for you for self-care. And that is relationships. And of course, that, that, that's a big word. But what do you mean about relationships and how can that sort of bring us uh, into this final pillar of, self-care why we should do it and, and how it makes a big difference in our life so who you surround yourself with is is a, a huge a huge impact on how you live your life decisions you make uh whether that's good or bad so they say it's the the av you are the average of i think it was five but it's about now seven people oh five still five and uh and so those five people that are closest to you are, are so important. That's, uh, that's as important as the food you're eating. Because, you know, if, uh, if those, the people that you have around you are, are not supportive and like, and understand what you're going through or you can have fun with, then it, you're not creating the, the best environment. And I, I've, uh, so there's sort of positive sides to this and negative sides to this. I, First of all, uh, I, I feel that I've cut out a lot of people in my life because whether they were uh, damaging relationships, 
or ones that were I felt that were a little bit one-sided uh, and and what you find when you some of those are really quite easy to whether it's a friend that you only ever saw occasionally that actually every time you saw them uh, just told you about their problems and never asked you any questions okay well then that's quite an easy one you can just sort of drift apart naturally but sometimes you doing it with family which I've done and it's been it's been quite a challenge but those relationships weren't uh weren't supporting me they were only making my life uh more difficult so I made difficult decisions to uh cut certain people out of my life and and my life has improved but on the other side of uh, relationships there's like I love I love my wife to bits and she's my best friend and if there is any moment that I get to have any free time, then I want to be having fun with my wife, and and that and I think that's amazing. I'm I'm also very fortunate to uh, work with my wife as well, Leanne. She she really is great, and uh, we have a really strong relationship. But you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, but you work with your wife. That well, that must be a little bit challenging." And my answer is always, "No, not at all." we we've been working together now for about five well four years and what we have done is we have we have very strong boundaries and so we work together so when when we comes to the end of the day and we move from our offices and uh we don't talk about work outside of working hours it's uh it's really really important so it's it's all about having firm boundaries. And you can do that with friends as well. If uh, you feel like someone is taking too much, then you not, it's like standing up for yourself in a way, but it's like, okay, I'm not, I'm not prepared to do that and say why. And it's just, I think boundaries is the key element when it comes to having good relationships. And that, that will make all the difference. So then you, relationships, whether that's friends, uh, family, or even in work, if you start to be firm about where your boundaries are then relationships only tend to improve and the ones that try and continue to push past then those relationships just sort of disappear and it's it's really important we need we're social beings we need to be around people so let's try and pick the best people that we can to be around us lovely really nice it's a common theme with some of my other podcast guests where on one level or another, everyone has said about high performance, living well, performing well in work, all the things of the human experience. At some point, every one of my guests has said something about connection with other people. And we are absolutely social beings and we need the right connections. We need healthy people in our life. We need healthy boundaries, robust conversations sometimes. Honesty is absolutely sacrosanct. And... And nurturing those relationships is fundamental, but it is easy in a post-pandemic world. A lot of people can have pulled away and sort of receded. I know I did to some degree. I went quite introvert. And it, it, there is a, it's a challenging thing to step out and to reconnect with, say, perhaps friendships or other things like that. But it's fundamental in self-care because we don't operate as a single self. I want to sort of summarize on this note, the, the word individual, because uh, we talk about being an individual, right? I'm an individual. And it actually comes from, the, I think it's Latin originally, but it comes from the, the etymology, the, the root of indivisible. It cannot be divided. And actually, when we look at us as a single human being within our relationships, within our friendships, our family, our businesses, with our communities, we are actually indivisible from that because you can't magically be somewhere else. So we're all connected and, and actually, yeah, attending to relationships is a big thing that it's about others and it is also about self. So that's a lovely summary. Tom, we've gone through eight amazing yes. pillars and your story and your experiences, both personally and professionally, which I deeply appreciate. Obviously, I've, I've been able to share some of those things and I trust, uh, dear listener, that you have got pen and paper out and noted them all down. If you haven't, don't worry, we shall summarize in the show notes. Uh, we will also put in show notes any uh, links, some of, the, some of the kind of references that we, we spoke about. So have a quick look at the show notes. Tom, I want to say thank you. I wish you a self-care rest of the day. I hope you have a really good day. And I really appreciate your time and thoughts and for joining us on the show. 
So thank you, Tom. Thank you, dear listener. I'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe. And if a friend would benefit from hearing this, do send it on to them as well. If you would like to get in touch yourself, then you can go to my website, which is saljeffries.com, spelled S-A-L-J-E-F-F-E-R-I-E-S, saljeffries.com. Hit the Get In Touch link, and there you can send me a direct message. If you'd like to go one step further and learn whether coaching can help you overcome a challenge or a block in your life, then do reach out and I offer a call where we can discuss how this may be able to help you. Until the next time, take care.